Today's text talks about choice, making choices. And we've just been through one of the more challenging exercises of choice, uh, choosing a president. Uh, Neither candidate was perfect, and many conscientious voters struggled to make what they considered to be the right choice. As far as we can tell today, it seems the popular vote and the Electoral College have pointed to the same candidate. So our task now is to live with and love one another. Rather than focusing on red states and blue states, uh, perhaps we should become a purple nation. It makes me think of that purple dragon, Barney, from years back, who used to sing, I love you, you love me, maybe we should just be a happy family. And so I think as we move forward, if we'll begin that type of conversation and that way to include everyone so that we do form one family, uh, I think we will be in a better place as a nation. But, but today's choice and today's text, the choice that we're looking at, it's a no-brainer. <laughs> because today we're talking about choosing God. Now, I would venture to say that there is not a single person among our audience today, our viewing audience, that if asked if they would choose God, the answer would obviously be yes. Yes, we choose God. Our text is Joshua chapter 24, and this is where we find those so well-known words. Choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates River? Will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, or the traditional uh, translation, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But like most texts that we that that we can summarize and put on a meme, uh, a, a, a plaque, or a wall hanging. This text that I just read, Joshua 24:15, comes as part of a larger text and a larger context. And that larger context has some surprises for us that we don't want to miss. So I'm going to kind of walk through the text. We're not going to read all of it, uh, uh, but I do want to point some things out and then uh, uh, draw your attention to a couple points that I think will be significant for us. So Joshua chapter 24, I'm going to read verse 1. Then Joshua summoned all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, including the elders, leaders, judges, and officers. So they came and presented themselves to God. So Joshua is going to gather the people for one last gathering among his lifetime. This is going to be his swan song. This will be his last time as their leader. Uh, The end of the chapter will end with his death and then his burial. But he gathers them in a city called Shechem. And this choice is particularly interesting because Shechem has a long history in the relationship between God and his people. After Abraham was called by God and Abraham left his home in Mesopotamia and made the way towards the land of Canaan, Shechem was the place in Genesis chapter 12 where God first spoke to Abraham. A little bit later in Genesis chapter 35, Shechem was the place where Jacob took 
all of the gold idols and the gold jewelry that his all of his household and his entourage were wearing, and they buried them there in a tree at Shechem. So at Shechem, uh, uh, in the presence of God, uh, Joshua is going to share God's rehearsal of the mighty things he has done. And we see that in verses 2 through 13. And we read verse 2, Joshua said to the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River, and they worshipped other gods. Here's surprise number one. Abraham came from a family that worshipped false or foreign or idol gods. It really shouldn't surprise us, but it kind of does. And it simply points out a fact that you and I know all too well. Every family has baggage. In fact, every single one of us were either born into or adopted into a family full of sinners. Not a single one of us comes from a pristine, pure, and unblemished family. And so it shouldn't surprise us that Abraham also has some baggage, some skeletons or some idols in the closet, as it were. And that leads me to another point that I think it's important to observe. Uh, God doesn't call perfect people. He calls people in the midst of their sin and then works with them and transforms them into the people that, that he wants. Now, through the rest of this section of 2 through 13, where we have this rehearsal of God's mighty acts, uh, we're not going to read all of it, but but I just want to point out the the numerous times that God says and points out what he has done. Um, I took your ancestor Abraham. I gave him many descendants. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains. Verse 5, I sent Moses and Aaron. Uh, um, I brought the plagues on Egypt. Um, verse 8, I brought you into the land of the Amorites. Uh, I gave you the victory over them. Over and over and over, we see God's mighty actions, his mighty hand at work to guide, to bless, and to be with his people. And then we come to those verses suitable for framing. Verses 14 and 15. Let me find it here. This translation says, So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today who you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. The choices are pretty simple. Serve God or serve idols. Serving God means putting away, abandoning, destroying burying those idols that they've been carrying. And that's the second surprise. Israel still had idols that they were carrying with them. 
After all the commands, you shall have no idols and no other gods before me. After all the mistakes, the biggest one being the golden calf that they worshipped. After all of that, Joshua, after 40 years in the desert of following God, Joshua, now that they're in the land of Canaan, the land of promise, Joshua still has to tell them, are you going to keep on following those gods or are you really going to choose God? It seems that they were still clinging to, clinging to those ancient gods as kind of a good luck charm. And then others had adopted the newer gods that they were finding in the, uh, in the land of Canaan. And so now the choice is clear. Well, the people respond, we will serve God. It's a no-brainer, right? What else are you going to say? And they shouted and they proclaimed, we will serve God. Verses 16 through 18. The people replied, we would never abandon the Lord and serve other gods. For the Lord our God is the one who rescued us and our ancestors from slavery in the land of Egypt. He performed mighty miracles before our very eyes. As we traveled through the wilderness among our enemies, he preserved us. It was the Lord who drove out the Amorites and the other nations living here in the land. So we too will serve the Lord, for he alone is our God. Well, you think that you could just end the chapter there and end on a high note. But here comes our third surprise and a little twist Because Joshua now throws us a curveball. Verse 19. Then Joshua warned the people, You're not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy and jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you abandon the Lord and serve other gods, he will turn against you and destroy you, even though he has been so good to you. Joshua's response kind of shocks us. It's like, you can't do it. Ain't no way. You can't handle it. You don't stand a chance against God. God is holy and God is jealous. And you guys are miserable failures when it comes to sticking to the one true God. You know, it kind of sounds like the coach at halftime. The team is being beat And he's in the locker room. He's saying, you know what, guys? I don't think we have a chance. I just don't think you're going to make it. I don't think you have the stuff it takes to beat this other team. Well, what does that do to the uh, the players? It, 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 It rises them up. It says, you know what? We are going to, and we promise, and we... And they start shouting and chanting and doing all their grunts and stuff that people do in the locker room. Never been a part of that kind of thing, but I see it on TV. And that's exactly what the people do. Look how they respond in in, in verse 21. But the people answered Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. Verse 22, You are witnesses to your own decision, Joshua said, and you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses to what he have done. All right then, Joshua said, Destroy the idols that are among you. They still had them in their backpacks, in their tents, Wherever they were living, they still had them. Destroy the idols, bury them, and turn your hearts to the living, to the Lord, the God of Israel. And one last time, the third time, the people say to Joshua, We will serve the Lord our God. We will obey him alone. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day at Shechem, committing them to follow the decrees and regulations of the Lord.
So finally, the people three times have stated, we will serve the Lord. So the first point I want to make is that leaving our idols and choosing to serve God is not a one-and-done decision. It's not something we decide to do on the day of our baptism. I am going to follow God. And then we can just set that decision aside for the rest of our lives. It's a decision that we have to make over and over time and time again. It's one of those things where we have to constantly do a checkup, a spiritual checkup on on how our lives are going and where our lives are heading. Because even in church, we can fall into a rhythm, a pattern, or if you will, a rut. I I read a, a sign uh, that uh, up in Canada during winter, said, and it said at the beginning of this long road, says, choose your ruts carefully because you're going to be in it for the next 25 miles. Because of the cold weather and the frozen tundra, once you're in a track, that's where you're going to be for a long time. Well, in our situation, Jesus calls us to pick up our cross daily in Luke chapter 9 and follow him. It's a decision that we make, and it's a commitment that we make over and over. Well, that kind of leads us to our second point. Okay, so it's a decision to choose God to abandon my idols, but I don't have any little statues that I pray to. I don't have any idols. Well, we really do. (laughs) Uh, uh, I didn't ask if we had idols. I said, what are they? Because we have to identify them. That's our challenge. We all have idols. We all have things that we cherish and hold, and some cases more precious than God himself. You know, there are idols galore that that can tempt us and that draw us. Uh, uh, Perhaps the most common is materialism. But then a close second would be convenience and comfort. I want things my way. I feel I'm convinced, and I'm a smart guy, and so I'm convinced my way is right, and I want the world to kind of go around what I think should happen and what I think is best. And both of those are idols that we could call legion because there's so many different facets of materialism and convenience. But I think both of these idols have a same root. They come from the same tree. And that is the God of me. The me God is self-absorbed, is greedy, and thinks only of himself or herself. The me God is, if you will, the reincarnation of the narcissist of Greek mythology. Uh, Many of you have read the story or are familiar with the story that Narcissus was a handsome young man who saw his reflection in the water and and then fell in love with himself. And then in order to get closer, fell in the lake and then drowned. Uh, uh, From his name comes the common term for excessive admiration or an undue preoccupation with oneself, narcissism. You know, we see it everywhere. I run into narcissism here at the church building. Uh, uh, When I park my car over here, uh, I noticed that I would come out and I would find one of my windows right around the side mirror just covered with bird droppings. And I thought, what in the world is going on? So I kind of spied. And I realized what was happening. 
there, we have some sparrows here on the property, and when it's mating season, you know, sparrows, like all animals, humans included, they like to show out and, and show that they're a good catch. And, and so one of the sparrows, evidently, or a couple, saw themselves in my rearview mirror or my side view mirror, and they fell in love with uh, that person that other bird that they saw and they're trying to show out for that other bird and they're sitting there while they're just unloading all kinds of uh, things onto my car and and so if that's happened to you before just one of those quick little you know parentheses put saran wrap over your mirrors and that will help or, or plastic wrap and uh, and that'll mess up the vision enough that the birds won't see themselves and think that they're uh, courting or flirting with someone else. Uh, um, narcissism. It's all about me. On, on one of our mission trips, um, uh, every day we begin with a devotional thought for the day to kind of keep us focused. And Bob Sistick was in charge of the devotional thought for that day. And he made an excellent point. It was a great talk. Uh, it, it was much better than what we gave back to him as, uh, as uh, a response. Uh, but, but he was making the point, you know, it, it's all about God. It's not about me and my comfort. It's not about me. It's about God. And so we reminded Bob of that for the rest of the mission trip. And we said, hey, don't forget, it's not about Bob. It's not about Bob. And, uh, and we had some fun with that. But, you know, that's a, that's, that's a, that's a temptation to make it about me. Whether it be materialism, whether it be about convenience, whether it be, whether it be about what I think. And, and what we realize is saying yes to God means saying no to a whole lot of competing loyalties. When I talk with couples who want to be married, uh, one of the early questions that I'll ask them is, uh, um, of all the billions of men or women living in this world today, why do you want to marry this one? <laughs> because when you say yes to this one, you are saying no to all the others. You are saying no. I do not want to be with you. I do not want to marry you. I do not want to spend my life with you. I want to be with this one. Saying yes to one means saying no to all the others. Saying yes to God means saying no to a whole host of things. Well, how do we figure out what our idols are? Uh, Tim Keller, in his book, Counterfeit Gods, has a couple points that I think are especially helpful. First, what, what do you daydream about when, when you just have some downtime and you're thinking about your future, what is it that captivates your mind and your imagination? Some people write it down in bucket lists. What's on your bucket list? What are some things that when you have the time and the opportunity, what is that you want to do? Career advancements, uh, 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 material goods like your dream home, your next car, uh, maybe a relationship with another person or something you want to do, a travel, a trip or something. Are there any spiritual things on your bucket list? Things that I want to do with God or let God do through me? What do I dream about? And what do I find myself coming back to over and over? Could that be an idol? A second thing Keller recommends is to ask yourself, where do you spend your money? Uh, where your treasure is, there your heart also is, said Jesus. 
the mark of an idol is that we spend too much money on it and that we're constantly needing to exercise self-control in that particular area. If you catch yourself spending money in one particular area and you go back and you spend money again and again and again, doesn't necessarily mean it's an idol, but it's worth asking yourselves the question. A third area, what is your real, daily, functional salvation? What does God really look like to you and what does your relationship to God look like? And he says the way that you can think through this is answer the question. How do you respond to unanswered prayers and frustrated hopes? If you've asked God for something and he doesn't give it to you, how do you respond? Do you get mad and storm off? Do you quit the church? Do you say I'm not going to talk to God again? Because that kind of suggests that maybe God wasn't God, but rather this Thing that you are wanting or this idea that God is supposed to give me what I want. What is your real functional salvation? And fourth, what, is, what are your uncontrollable emotions? What makes you angry, fearful, uh, worried, and despair? Has something or someone besides Jesus Christ taken title to your heart's trust? To whom and to what do you look to for stability and security? Bury your idols. Set aside those things of the earthly nature, says Paul in Colossians, and set your mind on higher things. Serve God and separate yourself from the idols. Be patient with yourself and others. If anything, we learn from 40 years in the desert that it takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. It's an ongoing process. Uh, uh, Robert Jensen, a theologian who wrote a systematic theology, uh, says you can tell the difference between an idol, a false or dead God, and a true and living God by one test. A dead God will never surprise you. An idol is something that we have under our control who acts the way we want it to. Controllable, containable, manageable. And our living and true God gives us one more surprise as we close out this lesson. Of all the surprises that this one true and living God could give us is, in spite of our failings, in spite of all the issues we have, this God comes to us and still says, come, follow me. Remember that Joshua is the Hebrew name that we in Greek translate Jesus. And so this Joshua and our Jesus point us to a relationship with God that is not totally dependent on our goodness and our holiness and our fulfilling our part of the pact. It depends on God's goodness, the goodness and the mercy and the compassion of the one true and living God. As for me and my house, we choose to follow God. We choose to serve Jesus. And we make that decision today. We'll have to make it tomorrow and every day uh, on into the future. May God bless you and may God help you each make that choice for Jesus.